Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you, as always. Beautiful, beautiful morning. God bless us with great weather here and, and uh, sunshine in our souls as well. well we'll uh, get into our study in just a moment. Before we do, let's uh, ask the Lord's blessing on our time together and answer uh, <coughs> His Spirit for guidance in our, our study this morning. Our Father, we are uh, we are thankful to be able to gather together this morning to look at your word and to um, glean from it the treasure that is ours from the eternal word. And Lord, that we might know you better is our goal, that we might see uh, and behold, wonder and amazement, your uh, nature and attributes, and in seeing more clearly, we might serve you more faithfully by your spirit, we might um, share the, uh, the truth that we're learning with others that it might be encouragement to them or in some way used by you to bring them to Christ and to build them up in their most holy faith. Whatever you choose to do, Lord, we rejoice in it and we thank you for it. Thank you for this church, for its leadership. Thank you for their commitment to your word, to the faithful exposition of it. Open our eyes, Father, we ask. We do ask that you meet with us here. Be our teacher. For Christ's sake, we pray. All right. Well, we've uh, come to kind of a transition in the study. We've uh, looked at the verses um, themselves in Acts 17 and, and uh, drawn out from it what was there. We took a little time to talk about uh, Paul's methods in, in trying to tear down the idolatry that he saw and his ways of sharing the gospel. And now the third goal I have, and maybe the most important one of all, is for us to take some time and study uh, some of the attributes of God. And some of them because obviously there is, um, well, there is a way. I started to say there's no way we could take the time. We could take the time, but I don't think Jay would appreciate me taking the next four or five years out of his uh, <laughs> Sunday school time to try to, to work out all of the attributes of God. And even then, I'm not sure I could do an adequate job. But what I have in mind as a goal, and I'll give you this, uh, this note, piece of uh, note paper here in just a moment that you can keep. Is I've taken eight of attributes of God that I think most capture what we saw in Acts 17, and uh, we'll deal with them, and that will of course lead us into thoughts of, of his other attributes naturally, and uh, hopefully it'll just be a great encouragement for you to study further. And uh, and so, um, so what I want to do first is go ahead and give you this, and uh, let's see, Philip and Eric, could I get your help? What they're giving you is just something for you to write on, just something that gives us an overall uh, outline of what we'll be talking about. And we'll read the first couple of paragraphs together here in just a moment. So I encourage you to bring that back with you week, week after week for the next uh, uh, several weeks or so. Uh, if you do have something to write on, now that you have those um, pieces of paper, something to write with, that is, let me give you, just right at the very front end of this, some re uh, references and resources for further study. 
Now this is just a few. And I could have, I, I could have, and maybe even should have put this at the end of the notes there. But really, these are just references I have in my library, and by no means, the, the, you know, all of them. Not even a handful. Um, but they're excellent and faithful resources. They're useful resources. And so let me give them to you, and if you want, uh, you can be encouraged by studying them. First of all, something that we probably all should have, or all do have, at least in this church, is the Westminster Confession of Faith. And it's this chapter two of God and the Holy Trinity. That's one of the references, just very, very concise and brief summary statement there in the Westminster that will go along with uh, what we're going to study in the coming weeks. Also, the Westminster Larger Catechism has an excellent question, question seven, and the question is, what is God? So if you have access to the Westminster Confession, you probably also have a document in, uh, with the Larger Catechism. And uh, remember, Larger Catechism was designed for adults, and the Shorter was designed for children, but either of them, both of them are excellent resources, and so I encourage you toward that. I have in my library uh, a systematic theology by Lewis Burkhoff, and uh, I would encourage you if, you if you want to look online, it may be available, I'm not sure. Uh, you don't have to purchase the book, it's kind of thick. But if you look at part one of Lewis Burkhoff's Systematic Theology of the Doctrine of God, you'll find that there's excellent uh, resources. Of course, Calvin's Institutes of the Christian Religion, book one, um, you know, uh, that's dealing with God, the doctrine of God. Uh, a book that I believe we, when you go through the new members class here, we get or have access to, and that's A.W. Pink, Arthur W. Pink, and the Attributes of God. We have copies of that in our library here at the church if you'd like to borrow one of those uh, to read it and then return it. And uh, then a theologian, if you want to dig deeper. Now, all of these are excellent resources. It's not, it's not like levels of teaching about God. It's, they're all thorough. But if you, <laughs> if you have insomnia <laughs> and you want to go deeper in, in, in verbiage and length of thought and depth, <laughs> generally speaking, uh, A.W. Pink read one of the Puritan theologian things, Stephen Charnock. And I have this book uh, in the library. It's about that thing. And it's called The Existence and Attributes of God, Stephen Charnock from the 18th century, early 18th century, I believe. And... Um, and he does an excellent uh, uh, work. He does excellent work, as all the Puritans did, on the nature of God. Of course, John Gill, the Baptist uh, theologian, he has a book called The Body of Doctrinal Divinity. Um, I have that in my library. And John Gill is also uh, no slouch when it comes to uh, verbiage, but he's also very thorough. So those are some references. There, there's no doubt probably many you can think of. Some of those that you have in your library is just some that I would encourage you toward. Uh, which one? The last one was uh, John Gill. Uh, a body, it's called a body of uh, doctrinal divinity. And it, the one I have is actually two books put together. I, I have to look. I don't know if it was two books originally, and I have it in one form. It's called the body of doctrinal and practical divinity. I don't know if that was originally two of his works. So it doesn't matter. If you, if you type in John Gill's Body of Practical Divinity or Doctrinal Divinity, you'll get up and look at that resource. So those are some of the things just to encourage you for further study. You don't have to do that for, for our time together, but, but uh, 
That's always nice to see those perspectives as well. All right, well, let's read the, the beginning paragraph here. And then I did, you see, I did leave you some space in between each of those, just jot notes down. And you can, that's the place where you can uh, write in there, Ronnie is way in over his head. That's, <laughs> that's where you'll make that note. <laughs> and I know that. <laughs> so I just wrote in here that uh, God is a person, not, of course, a person like you or me. We are created, He is uncreated. We are changeable, He is unchangeable. We are limited, He is unlimited. And on the list they go. It is the very fact that God is so unlike mankind in his infinite majesty that motivates us to esteem him worthy of our worship. And God has personal existence. He is a real living being, and therefore it's appropriate that we refer to God using the personal pronoun he, him, and himself. Right? That's what his words, that's the way he reveals himself. There's a lot of things going around today among in Christian circles, I don't know why the debate is there, but it seems endless of how we should refer to God. If there's any question about how we ought to refer to God, let's default back to how he reveals himself to us. How, what he says of himself is always the right way to refer to him and leave our own imagination and political reference out of it. So that's just a caveat. But we do use the, the terminology person of God, uh, and that's this study I'm calling person of God, has a reference to those attributes of his that belong to him alone. In other words, no other being in the universe can legitimately claim them. The attributes we're going to look at, we can't claim for ourselves, even though we are, in fact, created in the image of God. He has attributes which are divided into those that are communicable, those ones that he has communicated to us in creation and his likeness, and those that are incommunicable, those that cannot and will not be communicated to us. So we're looking at the ones that are the things that are true of him and him only, and no other being whatsoever. And so God is unlike any other being because he's infinite. He doesn't know any bounds. There are no boundaries, restrictions, limitations in God. Whatever God is, and all that God is, he is without limit. And then here's a quote from Novation, who's a third century um, Roman historian and church, churchman and, uh, and theologian. He said this, God is greater than mind itself. His greatness cannot be conceived. Nay, could we conceive of his greatness, he would be less than the human mind which could form the conception. All our thoughts about him will be less than he is. Isn't that good? All our thoughts about God, no matter how high and holy they are, and how biblical they are, will be less than he is. So I wanted to encourage you with, with that. Now I put one, two, three, I think there's eight, four, five, six, seven, eight attributes of God. Probably only have time to look at the first one today. So we'll take one to two per week, depending on the, on the time. So the first one you see there is God in space. God in space. Um, if you open your Bibles to Isaiah 40, and 
I want to look at verses 12 and 26. So I'll just ask someone if they would, once we all get there, to read Isaiah 40, 12 to 26. And again, to form our thoughts about God, we need to think God's thoughts after Him. God has revealed Himself truly to us. He has revealed Himself savingly to us. And so we begin with God's own admonition to His people in the Old Testament and uh, where he speaks of his being uncreated and infinite. So someone read Isaiah 40, beginning in verse 12, down to 26. He has measured the waters in the hall of the sea, and now falls the heavens by the sand, and populated the dust of the earth by the measure, and made the mountains in bronze, and the hills in fair affairs. He directed the feet of the Lord for all his counsel had been granted. But he did it himself, and he gave him understanding. And he taught him in the path of justice, and taught him knowledge, and trained him at the day of understanding. Behold, the nations are like a drop in a bucket, and are regarded as a speck of dust in the field. Behold, he lifts up the islands like fine dust, his inevitance is not enough for them, to make peace and make it burn all all nations are as nothing before him. They are regarded by him as less than nothing and mean. For he men will be nothing less, for that likeness will be comparison. But for the idle of craftsmen, that they are transposed to the whole, and the citizens happens to be disturbed. Him who is truly published for such an action, who has the tree that does not rot, who keeps out for himself a skillful craftsman, preparing an idol that will not fall. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Have you not seen the praise to you from his wings? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and his inhabitants are like grasshoppers. He stretches out, he stretches out the heavens like a curtain, and spreads them out like the feet of the ground. He who is, who is superior to nothing, who makes the judges of the earth meaningless. Scarcely have they been planted, scarcely have they been planted. Scarcely have they stopped at the wood in the earth, but the wind blows on us and over us, and the storms carries them away like sheep. For he means to be nothing, but I will be his equal, says the Lord. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things. The one who leads forth their heads to know it. He calls them all by name. He takes the greatness of his mouth and the strength of his power. Not one of them. It's awesome. Not a lot you can say about that when God speaks to himself in those terms. It's meant to silence the pride of man and, and humble us before our Creator. And there's so much in there that we can look at. And uh, one of the things that taught me is, of course, the idea that in God's great power, He just stretches out the universe like a curtain, you know. Uh, he created all the stars and calls them by name. I don't know, that's billions and billions and billions, you know, I don't really know where to number them in all of, all of the galaxies, and yet God is, knows them all, calls them by name, none of them are missing. So, fascinating. The, the more that we are able to look into far, farther reaches of our own galaxy and beyond, uh, of course, the unregenerate mind is seeking to prove that, you know, there is a cause for us outside of God, Christian mind, though, is able to wonder because the 
the greatness of God, because the farther that we're able to see, the more of God's creation we've seen in any generation in the past. You know, the telescopes that can fly out and look at the planets much closer than ever and take pictures of far-reaching galaxies. And for us, it just the more we see, the more we can appreciate uh, the greatness of God who stretched out the heavens and who created every star and who uh, calls them by their name. So God is infinite. And, uh, and that's the perspective that, uh, that we begin with. And here, the first one on the sheet that I gave you relates to God and space. All space, not, not outer space only. Okay? God in all space, inferior space, all the way to the far reaches of the universe. And the infinity with, of God with reference to space is called his immensity. I-M-M-E-N. S-I-T-Y, immensity. God is immense. And by this we mean that his nature is not subject to the limitations of space and contains in itself the cause of space. So God's nature is not limited by, like as we are within space. God is himself the cause of space which did not exist before he created it, hard to think of, isn't it? And um, space is that which God contains within himself. Now let's look at some different scripture, and obviously the nature of this study uh, is that of looking at scripture to bring out some of those places that speak to these things. So um, we'll look at quite a few places. Jeremiah 23, 23 and 24. Then I'll have someone have uh, Acts 17.27 ready, where we were uh, in our original study. So Jeremiah 23, 23 and 24, and then someone have Acts 17.27. Go ahead and uh, read Jeremiah if someone has that. Not I fill heaven and earth, he says. And my God is near and not far. You know, you know when we talked about God and our the way that we think of him in, in terms of space or location, sometimes we think we're far from God, or sometimes we think we're near to God. But in reality, God fills all things because He is immense, and so He fills heaven and earth, and um, so no one can hide himself in secret places uh, from Him. Not only in the sense of sight, and I think that's the way we think of God a lot of times: is a sense of what God sees, what He's able to see. But think of his immensity, not so much in what he's able to see or perceive or know, but where God is. God fills all things. He fills heaven and earth. And so in that sense, um, God's nature is not limited to any space uh, himself, but he fills all things. Someone read Acts 17.27. Yeah. 
should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. But he's actually not far from each one of these sites. Well, when we look at those, we talked about God's immensity that, that there's a sense in which God left the, the nations outside of Israel whom he revealed himself to to kind of grope and feel in their, in their own attempts to find God. And, but he was never far from any one of them. Was that, did that mean there was a door like this door that, that they just didn't see, that if they opened on the other side of the door there was God? What does it mean? It's, is it not an awareness of God? Is it not the understanding of God's nature that he fills all things that, that they were missing? Because he, he's not far from any one of us. God's nature is that which is immense and fills heaven and fills earth. All right, further study. 1 Kings 8, 27. I want to look at this one together with you. 1 Kings 8, 27. All right, and here the Word of God says, and this is Solomon, okay, who built the Lord a house, right? Okay, God, God was pleased and, and, and commanded it to be so. But notice the perspective of the believer. He says in verse 27, Will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heavens cannot contain thee, how much less this house that I built. You know, you can't, in, in other words, you can't think as the heathen did that they would build the temple for their God. And even in the Christian sense or the, the, the sense of the Old Testament Israel, you can't think of the temple as containing God. It is where he chose to manifest his glory to the people of God and localize his presence with them for their benefit and for their encouragement. But it was not that the temple contained God in any form or fashion. Now Solomon says, where are you going to dwell? What particular place are you going to dwell on the earth? The heavens and the highest of heavens, which I take as a reference to the, the entire universe, cannot contain thee. God cannot be contained within any of the space which he himself created. So he is outside of it, and yet he fills it entirely. Therefore, our mind begins to, to uh, not be able to grasp the concept so much that, that while God existed before he created space in any of its forms, and he is outside of it, having created it, his presence fills space in its entirety. Thoughts about that? Feel free to comment as we go along. There's just so many wonders about studying God's nature that uh, fill our minds. John, I just noticed if you look at verse 28, it goes from talking about his immensity to his imminence. Verse 28. Yet have regard to the prayer of your servants, which is the 
to the Lord my God. Give me the pride and prayers of the servants of the Lord in this place. So, uh, it, it's neat that it's going from the, the majestic majesty, just his glory, you know, in the heavens and how big he is, to he will answer the Lord's prayer. Yeah. That's personal. Yeah. I, I just thought that was kind of neat. Yeah, it is. That God, that He's He He is that great, so great that our minds cannot conceive of Him and all of His greatness, and yet He is a God at man. And uh, and so, of course, man's reasoning would say otherwise for whatever reasons, but uh, but He's He is ever present. It's like omnipresence, isn't? Which is one we'll get to later on in the study in weeks to come. They're akin to each other, but talking about the fact that while God has created space and space itself can't be considered to contain him, he fills what he created. It shows you how intimate he is with his creation. You know, the deist view is that God, okay, God or a God created the world and then removed himself essentially from it, right? You're, you're familiar with that? And how far is that from what the scriptures reveal? That once God having created all things, he is ever present. Filling all things. Sin that makes us think in our mind that God is somehow separated from his creation or removed from it or not uh, intimately involved with it. Until the prayer of Solomon, the Jews believed that it contained God and the Holy of Holies. That's where he was in the Holy of No, I, I don't believe that. No. I, 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 yeah. while, while some in their unbelief, you know, uh, May have thought that generally that was not God revealed Himself to the prophet. He revealed His greatness, uh, and He was He would not have been pleased, you know, with in their idolatry when the nation for the most part fell into idolatry. That's a form of trying to uh, merge the worship of the true God with the heathen idolatry, and in which you know an idol, idol is placed. They worshiped in oak groves and hills and mountains. Did. And so that kind of got blended in from time to time. But you know, maybe someone else has an opinion. My opinion is is no, that they didn't they didn't think that as a nation, Tom. That would he didn't reveal himself that way. I just think Solomon is pointing out that let's not. You know, the spirit inspired him to to pray this prayer and, and wrote it for our benefit. Let's not think of God in this great, beautiful temple that we have as a nation, this great blessing. As being contained within it, because that would be to think too small of uh, thoughts of God. I think we're all prone to that, though. I mean, that's that's kind of the point of, of this study. Is I I think even as believers, we're prone to want to put God in some sort of a category or a box or a form that fits a comfortable thought pattern for us. And then that's that's good. I'm there. I've got it. You know, I've got I've got my theology down. I've got my I've got my thoughts of God down. And and and, and we can learn the truth of God from His Word. And and it is truth. And it is there's no deception whatsoever. And yet we must not think that we know all there is to know of God, or begin to think of Him as being contained uh, within the creation that He's made. Remember, before there was any creation. In space of every kind, one molecule. That's 
anything whatsoever that now exists outside of him, there he was. And always existed perfectly, absolutely perfectly holy. While God fills all things, he's, he's not he's not his creation. Limiting God within a place, and uh, thinking that that in that I can go to that place, or I can have that thing, that possession, or whatever, and there, what contains that? Well, that won't allow that. <laughs> It sounds dangerous when you verbalize it like that, doesn't it? If I want to go see God, I'll go to church. I, you know, I know exactly what you mean by that, but it's, it's a striving thought for me, and God forbid that we would be able to see that. I think that is a possibility, like we're talking about with the concept, it's, it's a tendency of our Sense of his immensity, we're here at Great Bible Church not expecting that, that this is where God is contained, as you said, but this is where he privileged us to meet and consider his presence, consider his glory, and deposit uh, his word and partake in the sacrament. Uh, so, since the Donnie said, we don't think of it this way, I pray none of us do, but when we go from this place, we don't. Consider that we're going away from God. We don't consider that we've met with God, which we have, because we've agreed together to worship Him in this place. But we don't think of moving away from God when we're not here and moving toward Him when we're here, because He's not in that sense of space and time and distance. God is immense, He's ever present. That gives you a lot of comfort, too. I mean, in all types of areas, you think of the comfort that that brings. But how many times, just being honest, have you, like me, felt lonely? Have you felt like you're just out there, you know? And, and when you think of God's immensity, it brings no end of comfort back to you to think that, you know, I think God fills all things, and He's 
all places with me wherever I am and where he is. Read Genesis 28 for further further instruction about the immensity of God. Notice we're referencing a lot of Old Testament texts, and we will. We're not excluding the New Testament by any means. But I want you to, to think about as we go along and, and look at the attributes of God, how often we're referring to the Old Testament and how important it is that God was truly and faithfully revealing himself and all of his glory in the Old Testament times. All right, Genesis 28, um, verses 16 and 17. And this is the occasion, you guys will remember, when Jacob dreamed a dream, and he saw the ladder ascending up to heaven, and the Lord stood above it, and the angels were ascending and descending. And he says in verse number uh, 16, And Jacob awoke from his sleep, and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place. But I did not know it. And he was afraid, and he said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. All right? I would have said something like that, too. This is an awesome place. This is the place. I mean, that's the ladder. It goes from heaven to earth. God's up there, the angels. How awesome is this place? True. But while Jacob called the place that he had slept and dreamt there, and God gave him that vision, the house of God, and he reveled in that place out in the open wilderness. What did he mean by the fact that it was the house of God and the gate of heaven? Because I do not believe he meant that in the sense of like some science fiction movie would say it today. You go through, you know, you search world over and you find the gate that finally takes you to the other world or whatever. You didn't think of it like that. He wasn't saying that and expressing his joy and his emotion at, at, at the term. So what and again, the key, I think, is in the last part of verse 16. <clears throat> to kind of point you in that direction. You're not already there. Bonnie, go ahead. He wasn't aware. He wasn't aware. Because he was in the wilderness. He was essentially out in the open wilderness. No structure, no, wasn't a particular place that God said go to. I mean, God led him and was directing him, but he's out there. God opens his eyes, though, and reveals his presence to him in a very unique and specific way that altered his life. And he said, surely this is the house of God, which, as Bonnie said, is the place, the reason he called it that, is because that's the place where God revealed his fellowship with man in general, but with Jacob specifically. And this is the gate of heaven. So it's not like we have to go find that place and, and then we can connect to God or go to heaven, right? Again, that would be the, the lower idea. The higher idea of God is that, as 
He said that God is in this place, but I didn't know it. I wasn't aware of it. And when God makes his presence known to us in such a vivid fashion as that, um, then that's a house of God. It's a place where God meets with us. This is where heaven and earth meet. This is where God and his creature connect on an intimate level. That's what he's expressing. He wasn't aware. So what changed? Did God change? <laughs> you know, well, Jacob changed. His perception, his understanding, his awareness of God changed. Just as ours can. I don't suppose God's going to be giving us any uh, outstanding vision like that, but we can certainly look back upon Jacob's and re recognize the fact that we often go through our daily routine, our business, and our homes, and families, and the things that we do, almost oblivious to the presence of God. And we stop and we consider, like Jacob, this is the house of God. The whole creation, in a sense, is the house of God. But it's where he makes himself known to you. It is. It's a picture of our salvation. God lifts the darkness of our sin and we behold Him, behold Christ, aware of Him. When before we may not have even cared, been concerned, or if we were, uh, it, it took little of our time and our attention. Hey, yeah. contrast there yeah he, he hotly pursued it yeah as you said and you know he 
God, my God, <laughs> my God, or you captain, my God, they don't take care of themselves. You stole them and I have to get them. You know, it's up to us to rescue our God, which is ironic too. But it, it's a good contrast that Dave brings out there. How much higher and more noble and more fulfilling to the human mind are our thoughts of God in a Christian sense than uh, in the limited and uh, fallen sense. All right, one more place. We'll have to move quickly, but we do have just enough time. Psalm 139. Now, I almost want to just park and camp in Psalm 139. Such a great, great psalm. And especially when speaking of majesty, of God's creation, and wisdom, and power. Let's just focus in Psalm 139 on verses 7 to 10. The psalmist writes, Where can I go from thy spirit? Or where can I flee from thy presence? If I ascend to heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there thy hand will lead me, and thy right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me, and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to thee, and the night is as bright as the day, darkness and light are like to thee. He's asking, where can I go? We could ask the question this way, maybe just put a little point on it. Where is God not? <laughs> yeah. He's not nowhere. There's a double negative for you. He's not nowhere. There's nowhere he is not. Because he said, if I go up to the highest heavens, you're there. We would expect that. I'm thinking, but he says, I go to the depths of the place of the dead, Sheol, he's there. If I went out on the wings of the dawn, Went to the highest place of the earth, the depths of the sea. Essentially, the psalmist is painting a picture in our mind of thinking of the most remote place that you can think of, the farthest reach of your imagination. So just a moment, go ahead, let your mind go as far out into space, not far out 60s style, but far, <laughs> far in your thinking as you can, or the most remote place on the earth, part of the earth, the center of the earth. Any place that's remote to you in your thinking, the most farthest reaches that you can think of, God is there. There is no place that He is not, and He is present there in the same sense that He is present here at this moment and every moment. For us, it's a hard concept because we can immediately come to an end of our thinking. You know, I think of maybe. Beyond all the galaxies, that was the place my mind went. Beyond all the galaxies, it can be God created. There's somewhere out there, somehow, into the road sign. <laughs> you know, if we could take a space graph and go that far, we can't. If we could, you finally could. You know, the road stops here, the universe stops here. Outside of that, God's presence built that place, whatever it may be called and whatever it is. Much as it does fill this entire universe. There's one more thing that, that I thought was cool. Not my thoughts, most of these aren't. This, somebody wrote, and I copied it here, that God is not contained within this universe, but the universe is contained within God. Our galaxy 
The Milky Way is spinning at an estimated speed of 490,000 miles per hour. That's fast. 490,000, that's how much they estimate the galaxy is spinning. Well, that gives you a perspective of how, just how big the Milky Way galaxy is. And it's estimated at that speed it would take 200 million years to make one rotation. The brain doesn't mm. think of this stuff, but they can. There may be a billion other galaxies in the known universe, and yet the universe is contained within God. That's how great our God is. Awesome, he is seated in heaven, and he has to humble himself to look down on all the creation, and he's made even the vast universe with all its infinite uh, galaxies. Amazing, awesome God. Well, how does God's immensity affect our thoughts of him? How does it? We mentioned comfort, which is a practical outcome. How does knowing of God filling all things? Is filling all space. There's no place that God does not fill. How does that affect your thoughts of Him and your relation to Him? God be God, are you, Sandra? <laughs> I do too. do feel, you know, that we're often alone and we're in a dark place in our life or, you know, difficult challenging circumstances. God brings those things to build us up in our most holy faith and reveal His presence and power. But in those times, we, we remind ourselves of God's presence and immensity and, and you know, it, it absolutely affects our thinking. It absolutely comes Thinking of it now does, and I know many of you probably face some great challenges right now, and that, that can bring uh, a comfort like no other.
very good. That's God in reference to space. We'll pick up next time with God in reference to time. And uh, appreciate all of your input and your thoughts. May God use this study to encourage you where you are and uh, bless you and walk with Him.